welcome to the Rosenfeld Review, where we're just a bunch of blind men trying to figure out that elephant. And um, I, I like to talk about the elephant a lot, but actually, I kind of have a unicorn in the room with me today, a virtual room, and that's Brianna Silver. Hi, Brianna. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm really happy to talk with you because um, if those of you who don't know Brianna, she is the unicorn of, the, of a kind of new type that I think we're going to start hearing about. She is someone who bridges and borrows from existing research disciplines. Uh, Brianna uh, has a consulting firm, Silver Consulting, that's silver with a Y, consulting.com, that really focuses on insight, which I'm so excited about. And the unicorn part is borrowing from existing research disciplines like market research and user research and uh, being kind of agnostic about how you get to insight, but just focusing on this bigger goal. And I thought that'd be a good thing for us to really focus in on today. Uh, why do you think insight is something we're hearing a lot more about these days, Brianna? Well, first of all, I just wanna say how excited I am to be here and have the opportunity to connect with you and all of your listeners. Um, but coming back to the question of why is insight so important? I think insight is so important because people are needing to, there's a lot of chaos or sort of noise in the world today um, and a lot of lack of clarity, if you will, around the path to pursue. Uh, it seems like there's an endless number of options for where and how anybody can engage in anything, you know, whether you're talking about a consumer-based experience, a business-based experience, you know, different levels of service, whether it's kind of all DIY to, you know, the full extreme of full, full service. And there's, I think, as, you know, particularly in the business context and when it comes to, you know, market research or, you know, user research, the numbers of tools to support that have expanded exponentially. And, you know, the, the marketing ploy behind every single one of them is, you know, actionable insight, you know, two, 20 seconds after you're done with the study type of thing. And, you know, and it all depends on you know, what are you really looking for in terms of the packaging of that insight or, or the, the availability of that insight. And so, so I think part of the reason why, you know, this conversation around insight is, is, is so, pro, you know, proliferant at this moment in time is people are really trying to figure out what does it actually mean to be an insight now? Um, it is not an observation, but rather it's a revelation of some unique new perspective about a topic that you've not yet had before, either as an individual or as an organization in a new perspective that is actually clearing the pathway, the clarity, if you will, bringing that clarity as far as which direction you should pursue, you know, regardless of the question it is that you're answering. So, are, but the, the sort of focus on the, the term insight, is that like, is it an agnostic term, a, a, a word that sort of, you know, a whole bunch of us coming from different uh, disciplines can unite behind? Is it, or is it really something different? Like, why aren't we using the term research? Oh yeah, I definitely think that insight is something that is agnostic. It's something that, that really defines sort of that. I mean, I think at its core, it, it is that shift in perspective. It's that new, that new understanding around a topic. And it doesn't really matter, you know, 
what's going into creating that insight or what, what, you know, method methodology or sort of disciplines tool set you're using to make that happen. It can come from user research, design research, uh, you know, service design. Um, it can come from, it can come from market, market research. It can come from psychology. It can come from, you know, mining big data. Um, it doesn't really matter. And I also think that in today's world, because there's all these different channels through which insight is coming, there has to be sort of a, a container, if you will, to sort of capture all those different threads uh, coming together. And so I think that's where the, where the more of the generic term, if you will, of insight has come. But I think there's also a level of actionability that's behind that, that, that term um, that supports and that's why that particular term has been chosen versus something else. Well, I love that you use the word container because uh, that's in a way it's it's also kind of not only a useful but but somewhat agnostic term. Uh, a container could be something intangible but really valuable, like a framework to help an organization or an individual even start pulling together all those methods and types of of research. And, and figure out, well, um, what tools should I use? What methods should I use? Where, you know, what, how do I put these things together to get to insight? But it could also be very tangible and, and it could be something like a research repository. And I mean, that's an interesting trend I've seen coming out of user research where we're, we're really investing in, well, I mean, there's actually commercial products like Handrail right now that, that allow you to pull together the actual research into a big bucket. Uh, and as there's, you know, th these are coming out of user research, uh, uh, the user research community, but also I see uh, comparable tools coming out of uh, market research firms as well. So what do you mean by a container? Is it all the above? Is it, is it more than that? And, and how, do we, how do we kind of create the right types of containers to help us make sense of all this research? Yeah, it's a good question. So I always think about containers, I guess, as sort of modes of engagement, if you will, um, or, or modes of access. So if you think about, um, you know, a container of research or a container of insight in an organization, I mean, it depends on the role that you have, right? Like if you are, you know, managing a brand, for instance, you are going to have containers of insight that are going to probably stream from, you know, certainly, you know, market research, it's going to stream from, you know, potentially user research or sort of innovation research, depending upon, you know, the CPG company and, you know, kind of where they, where innovation fits into their framework. Um, but you're also going to have, you know, social media insights coming in. You're going to have, you know, retail channel sales coming in, potentially on, you know, online uh, channel sales coming in, because oftentimes they're not coming from this And so you've got all of these different, you know, aspects of data, if you will, that are taking different shapes and forms. So you have some qualitative, some quantitative, some a point in time, some longitudinal. And so you're bringing it all into this container that ultimately is a house, you know, to house this insight or house this data, if you will, that then from the, the contents of that house, now you can really pull out the insight to say, you know, we want to make this adjustment in the brand. You know, what is the impetus for doing so? 
you know, what's the clear pathway for how we should do that? And then what's the next step action that we should take as a result? I'm going to pause us for just a second. Uh, we may be having some connectivity issues. What do you think, Andrew? I was going to say, we did uh, have her dip out for just a second. Just a quick second. Or about a minute ago. Yeah, and it was a, 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 such a great answer. Uh, I don't know that we want to, do we want to, I don't know how, how long it dipped out. It was only for like a split second. It was about five seconds. Was that, that long? Maybe okay. Five, just the end of that. Again. Uh, um, can I want to make sure we capture this and it was a great answer. Okay. So I'm sorry about, you know, I don't know if it's in your NRN, whatever, but it, it, you just sort of dipped for a moment. Um, do you want to, uh, you think we should do it from the top or, or, I think uh, we should do it from the top. Okay. That's fine. Yeah, I think it's going to, I think it's going to be hard to figure out exactly yeah. what I said and where I didn't. Do you, do you want us to, uh, I'm trying to remember what I asked you. Uh, it was really, <laughs> I think I was asking you about like the nature of containers here and, you know, is it a, a an actual repository or or a framework that, that researchers can use or organizations can use? And I think that's where and you were, okay. I think that's where we left okay. it. So yeah. we'll get, well, um, you know, I wonder if we should turn off video. I hate to do it, but maybe that's a safer bet. Okay, I'll I'll shut mine off. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, when you're ready, uh, in three, two, one. Yeah, it's a great question around containers, because for me, a container is like a house and the house is going to be different depending upon who's trying to access the container. So if we take an example, for instance, of, of a CPG company and a brand manager, you know, that brand manager is trying to access a variety of different contents of data. Um, you know, they are going to have you know, market research data that potentially they may have innovation research or user research data, depending upon how they structure their, their department and sort of innovation initiatives around that, if you will. Um, they will want to be accessing social media uh, data. They will definitely want to be accessing data around retail sales, both you know, in brick and mortar as well as online. And so all of these bits of data need a container or need a house in which to be collected, if you will, and they're all in different forms. So you've got, you know, some that's qualitative in nature, others that's quantitative in nature. You've also got, uh, you know, some that's point in time, you know, like much of the market research would be point in time, same with design research versus sort of longitudinal over, uh, over time. And that would be more of your, your retail data, for instance. And so the container provides a house by which to bring all of this data together. And then that is the data that then gets starts to be mined to really come to the insight. And, and I think a big piece of that insight that comes out of it is the question that you put into the container to then bring out the insight that comes with it. Um, but if you've got the container where all this data is flowing in and you've got an exchange of what that data looks like, and that, of course, that exchange is being created based upon the roles and the functions and the business decisions that need to be accessing that, then you've got everything that you need to create, you know, the comprehensive insight program that you're looking for. So, you know, that's a big challenge, obviously. Are you finding that that type of container is being, you know, homemade or uh, are there like viable products now that people are, or organizations are taking advantage of? 
I think it's something that people really struggle with. I mean, I think right now it's still something that happens very ad hoc, if you will. I mean, I think the container, to be real honest, is in you know, people's inbox and minds <laughs> for the most part, and all these different flows of data are coming into it. Um, but I, so I think that there's sort of two different ways maybe that you have to think about this. Like one is, is just developing the framework around the container that is like all of the different bits of data that would be supportive to someone doing their job. And I feel like people, people have that down pretty well. Um, now, whether they have the budgets to support all of that uh, is another story, but I think creating the framework of the data that would support them best in doing that is helpful. Uh, and, and most people kind of have that down. Uh, when it comes to managing, though, all those different data points and getting them into a succinct space that really supports, you know, quick access to that data to yield insight, that I think is is very much lacking in the industry. Um, you know, certainly, you know, there's many different organizations who have tried, you know, various different SharePoint sites and um, and then we've had numerous clients who've asked us to use different types of repositories. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, it doesn't really super work super well because they still exist as individual like right. documents, if you will, within that. Um, and so the mining across is, is, is severely compromised. I mean, I've seen some better executions versus others, but I can't say there's any one that's been like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Um, yeah. you know, but go ahead. Yeah. It, it's, you know, it, it's interesting because, you know, I've seen some very interesting implementations of of, uh, of repositories, both uh, homegrown and commercial. And uh, like a lot of enterprise tools, they they still compete with inboxes and Excel spreadsheets. And, and I don't know if that's a technical issue or or more of a a social or cultural issue, because you know to, you may understand the value of uh of a repository i might we may work in the same organization but how do we actually work together to build it together is that something that you're finding uh in your work or or just in the in the industry in general that that people are starting to kind of come together on and and make some headway yeah i do i mean i i think it's something that people keep putting efforts towards i still haven't seen a very elegant and beautiful situation uh, like solution but I think there's also a missing piece to this that I haven't seen too many organizations do, um, but those that have, I think really benefit from. And that is, is you know, generally when, when work is being done, it's, it's being done, you know, statement of work by statement of work. And, and, you know, so you might have one service or one brand and, you know, you might have 15 different studies done around that particular brand for, a given year, for instance. And so it's all different pieces of data, but it would all technically belong in the same container or house. And, and, but there's at a very few people have I seen sort of take a step back at the end of the year or the start of the new year, for instance, and say, let's now not look at these as individual statements of work, but as a whole body, a collective of knowledge that we now have about the topic that we've been exploring and sort of do a full assessment, not at the topic level per se, but more at a like, 
you know, what do we really know that's working well about what we're doing today? What do we, what do we not know? You know, what, what's not working so well that we know, or where's the missing information that we have, but sort of taking that sort of more macro stock take, if you will, of where they're at with their insight. I don't see a lot of people doing that as eloquently as it could be. And that's not necessarily something that a, that a, tool is going to right. you know make happen for you but it's more about making the time and space um, when you're putting together your learning plans to do that and I think you know things just kind of run so fast these days within the corporate world that I think people want to do that I just don't think there's many that actually take the time to do it I hope you're enjoying the podcast if you want more not only do we have a whole bunch of podcasts in our archive but we have something that's very current, very alive, and very engaging for groups. And that is our communities. Rosenfeld Media runs a variety of communities that meet on a monthly basis for video conferences on a variety of topics near and dear to UX people, ranging from enterprise experience to advancing research to design and research operations. I want to encourage you to join one of our communities. Again, it is free by going to rosenfeldmedia.com slash communities. Not only will you get a monthly video conference that you can listen in on and participate in, ask questions and so forth, we'll give you access to the recordings. And uh, for some of those communities, we're talking about dozens of recordings with really interesting presenters and facilitators. You'll also get a newsletter. You'll get access to an advice columnist. Yes, we actually are providing advice columnists for each community. And finally, if you're interested in our conferences, our communities correspond to our conferences. So you will be the first to know when programs, uh, when programs go live, uh, when tickets go on sale, and by the way, most of our conferences sell out, and other good things about our conferences, such as uh, when these scholarship applications open up. So go to rosenfeldmedia.com communities. You're gonna find something that's free, something that's interesting, and it's a great opportunity to find your tribe as well. We'll see you there. Yeah, I mean, the you know we're we're really talking like uh, as a uh, sort of the the you know holy grail here uh, of something of an institutional brain, you know that that you know is able to process both all these different types of data inputs and look for patterns and also do it over the course of time. Because that's another big factor that you mentioned earlier, that there's a longitudinal mm -hmm. aspect to all this. But we don't even have a good handle on institutional memory at this point. People, individual researchers can't even remember the, the work they did six months ago in some cases. So we, we have a long way to go. Let, let's take it back, though, from the sort of how do you achieve insight at an organizational level, which we could talk about for days, I'm sure, to what you feel is important for the individual researcher, the, the person who may not be, you know, making decisions on behalf of an entire large organization, but is simply trying to break beyond the, 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 the confines of what they were taught to do as a researcher. So let's say it's a, someone who's a user researcher but they want to get to insight. How do they build a, a sort of working framework that helps them understand how to start 
folding in methods and, and types of data from market research, from design research, from data science and so forth. Yeah, uh, well, and I think a, a big piece of this for me is a redefinition of what it means to create actionable insights. So, you know, I mean, almost every person that I speak to, they're like, you know, you get on the phone for a new project or meet in person and it's like, you know, success is actionable insight at the backside of this, right? Um, so everybody has that goal, I think it's fair to say. Um, but not, not, not necessarily is everybody committed to the process to ensuring that that occurs. And it's my belief that that process of actionable insight starts actually before a project even exists. So if you are working internally within an organization, you're that individual researcher and you start to get wind of a new project or somebody you know, approaches you about a new project and you're working to scope it with them, you know, a big piece that you've got to understand is why do they even want to do this project? Um, and what are they, what are their real intentions for what they want to yield from that project? I oftentimes find that when people initially start a conversation with myself and my team, the way that they are expressing the needs around their project is actually very different than what the truth is once we start really exploring that. And so one of the exercises that I have people go through is what I call five intention setting questions. Um, and that, and they are like, what do you not want to have happen during or as a result of this project? You know, how do you not want to feel um, both during and as a result of this project? And then flip to the positive of what do you want to have happen? How do you want to feel? And then lastly, you know, how do you want others to feel? And those five questions really start to surface a variety of different sort of unspoken needs because your typical RFP has just sort of the functional transactional requirements around the project, but it doesn't have any of the true inner success criteria. So for instance, like if somebody really wants to foster collaboration and break down silos across an organization, more than likely you're not going to see that as an express, you know, expressed mm -hmm. goal in the RFP, but it is very much a, a success criteria of did this project work? And particularly in a lot of the work that we do as an organization, it's very, you know, transformative in nature. Like we're, we're charting future paths for organizations and really sort of addressing big hairy problems that they've been unable to do so far. And so, you know, things like that to support buy-in and alignment are huge, but they so rarely show up in the RFP. So that's the first piece is just really trying to truly understand what it is that you are doing. And then that obviously then starts to open up the pathways for what's the range of tools that you may need to be accessing. Um, and then you can decide, you know, do you need to be in person? Do you need to be remote? Do you need to do something that's within a couple hours? Do you need something that would be tracking somebody over the course of three weeks or three months, for instance? Um, you also get a sense of, do you just need research or do you need workshops? Do you need you know, who do you need to be as part of those workshops? Um, so it really then, I think for me, sort of the requirements or sort of the, the tools to pull on become super easy to, to figure out once you really understand the true intentions around a project. But then I also think it's important to truly understand the stakeholder truths that are coming into the conversation. So I always start to think about insight. Uh, I think about insight as, as being sort of a 
a dual a dual coin, if you will. So you've got, you know, your customer insight or your market insight, uh, you know, the reason why you're in the market trying to understand what's going on. So you've got this external insight uh, that I think researchers tend to think is that's their goal. But I think you also have to spend as much time, if not as much time, uh, looking at the ex at the internal insights. So what is all the insight that your current stakeholders are bringing into the conversation? And these are things that they know to be true based on, you know, prior experience. It's, you know, limiting beliefs they may have around the category or what the organization can achieve. It may also be, uh, you know, just hypotheses that they have that they, you know, they, they're acknowledging they may or may not be true, but they're still hypotheses. And so once you understand, you know, how they're viewing the world in which you're studying, then you actually know how best to frame the, frame the new knowledge, that new perspective, that new insight that's coming from the external. And it's when you bring those two pieces of truth together that you really get to an aligned and connected vision. And I think it is, it is managing that journey throughout the insight gathering that is crucial to ultimately supporting the actionability of the insight afterwards. Because in order for the insight to be actioned, people have to really internalize it and they have to, it almost has to feel bad <laughs> not to action against it. Like they'd be remiss not to do so because they, they believe in what has come out so much. But in order to make that happen with all stakeholders who, you know, obviously are, you know, you're competing for their attention with this information is that you have to craft the learning journey throughout that process. And that's allowing them various points along that process to understand what that external insight is and bump up that external insight into what their own internal truth looks like at that moment to then say, you know, what pieces deserve to stay as is versus what pieces need to pivot because this new learning shifts their perspective about, you know, the situation and or the next step actions they will be taking. So, you know, what I love about that is you're basically, you're talking about the actionable aspect of insight because that's the, the most common modifier to the word insight in our field, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's already becoming a phrase that people use and don't really know what it means. And it sounds good. And I think you're keeping it honest by introducing the aspect of time. So actionable means you can do something, which means something has progressed. And so I like that you're really injecting into that phrase uh, in a really concrete way. Things like pre-mortems. I know you mentioned that. That's a, a term I, uh, I learned from Dave Gray uh, for, for looking at what's going to happen or what shouldn't happen. Let's make sure it doesn't happen. And you're injecting, uh, you know, terms like journey. Uh, and, and this is really critical. We, I, I mean, I just think we focus on these tiny little snapshots of time, these moments that, that uh, you know, we have a, a moment of clarity, but that's really... Um, far less important than the journey we're going to be on as we try to actually not only achieve insight, but do something with it. Brianna, this has been great. Um, I do want to ask you one last question. Uh, I do this with uh, many of our podcast folks, and that is what's who or what, uh, or, or uh, um, what group or what article or what is like something or someone really interesting that you think we should all know about? and follow up on? 
Yeah, this is going to be a little unconventional um, because it's not somebody from, you know, the insights field, if you will, but it's somebody who has been, I mean, just really a huge gift to me in my life, but I think has also just really helped me to, you know, really discover, I think, the full potential of what I have to offer. Um, and I suspect that there's other people who are in the field of research who may who may benefit from, from knowing of this woman. So the person I want to give a shout out to is Heather Dominic. She is my business mentor. Um, I've been working with her since 2015. And she leads a movement around supporting highly sensitive entrepreneurs to really rise, you know, rise into their strengths of, of being a highly sensitive entrepreneur. Um, and so I had no idea when I first started working with her, like, what highly sensitive person was all about. Um, I've since come to learn that there is, there's a woman, uh, her name is Dr. Elaine Aaron, who did some prior research and found out that there are, that there's 20% of the population that, that is quote unquote, a highly sensitive person. And what that means is that actually your nervous system, your physical nervous system is wired differently than other people in the world around you. And that means that you take in stimuli, uh, just you take it in and you process it very differently. And the, there are benefits to be gained of that situation. There's also many negatives to be gained of that situation. Um, but in working with Heather, uh, she's really supported me to, to really learn how to, to step, in, step into the strengths of that. And some of the strengths, for instance, that really I think show up uh, a lot in the research world work that I do is, you know, aspects of intuition. So really leaning into your intuition aspects of deep listening. Um, you know, I think one of the things that people have always appreciated about me as a researcher uh, and really as a strategist, uh, as I, you know, have more of a team and I'm doing less and less of like the actual interviewing, but more in sort of the strategy sessions with clients and helping to package those results is really around being able to, hear the narratives that are being said that actually aren't that aren't having voice being put to them and so that's that strength of deep listening um, and so you know i think many researchers i suspect fall into fall into that highly sensitive person category and so i would say you know check out the work of heather if you're if you're you know a practitioner on your own uh, running your own business like myself or if you're not, you know, definitely check into the work of, of Dr. Elaine Aaron and the highly sensitive person, because I think you know, just learning about this and then being able to process it and put perspective of that for myself has really been a game changer in my life. Well, thanks for sharing that, Brianna. And thank you for sharing uh, just a, a, an amazingly rich array of ideas around insight. I'm looking forward to learning more uh, and I'm looking forward to more conversations with you. Uh, we've had Brianna Silver join us today. I'll spell her name because it's a little tricky. B-R-I-A-N-N-A, Silver, S-Y-L-V-E-R. She is the president and co-founder of Silver Consulting. You go learn more about them at silverconsulting.com. And she is easily found on LinkedIn where she uh, occasionally posts some great things to say. Brianna, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. And, you know, just really appreciate the opportunity. Great. Thank you. Thanks again. Take care. All right. Um, thank you. Uh, 
you know, I'm sorry about the, the, connected, the connection issues, but uh, I think we, we're going to be okay there. Uh, there's a couple little spots that, you know, maybe for a split second uh, got a little muddled, but I, I, I'm not bad enough that I, don't, that I think we need to re-record anything other than the one we did. Um, let's see. So this will probably come out, I'm guessing, late this month. Let okay. you know when. Um, I was really, I mean, like there's so much interesting stuff that we talked about that I really do mean like we could, we could spend days on this and we just scratched the surface. <laughs> no, it was fantastic. I appreciate it. I always love talking about these topics. You know, I, I could talk forever. So. Well, and the, the cool thing is that we get to like, I think folks like us have been like wanting to talk about these topics for years. Like I've been giving a keynote on, on basically inside operations uh, for about eight years now. And uh, it's like people, when I first started giving it, uh, you know, whatever, whatever he's talking about, whatever, we don't get it. And uh, I thought I'd only give it for a year or two. And then I just found that like, like a lot of the things I was predicting were starting to come true and there was more and more of an audience for it. And yeah. so I keep giving that talk and updating it. But <laughs> anyway, um, we will be in touch about the conference. Uh, Sounds and, great. Um, thank you again. Anything for me, anything I should know, any feedback? No, I just want to say thank you. You know, thank you for everything for, you know, this opportunity for the conference coming up. I look so forward to, you know, meeting you in person and, you know, just, uh, you know, being with, with everybody in the community. I think it's going to be great. Awesome. Well, thanks, Brianna. We'll talk to you soon. Happy travels. Thanks for listening to the Rosenfeld Review brought to you by Rosenfeld Media. If you like our show, please subscribe and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. I'd love it if you tell a friend to have a listen and check out our website for over 100 podcasts with other interesting people. You'll find them all at rosenfeldreview.com.